Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. Something people may not know about us is that we like road trips. We sure do. Which, it's a really good thing, because when we lived in Texas, we used to make the trip from Texas to Indiana or Michigan every year, and often twice a year. That's right. I remember when GPS became more available and we started using it on those trips. It seemed like you would get to an area where you knew you needed to make a lane change or a road change quickly, and right when you needed it the most, the GPS would say, recalculating. Mm -hmm. On one particular trip from Texas to Indiana, we were driving through Missouri, and GPS told us to exit the interstate. It then proceeded to direct us to every entrance and exit at that particular location. We drove the complete cloverleaf of entrance and exit ramps before getting back on the interstate, going the same direction we were already going. Yes, yes, before. we did. We had a good laugh over it. It was though. funny. Yeah. This can mirror how our life goes sometimes. Sometimes we don't know which direction to go and may feel like we are going in circles. Have you ever felt that way? Yes, of course. Especially when we were still at the beginning of this journey in disabilities, it was really difficult to figure out who to listen to, what to do, just where to look for direction at, and where to prioritize our time and attention on what to spend it on. Yes, I remember that. Well, unlike our old GPS, our guest today provides great direction that our listeners can listen to as they navigate this journey. That's right. Today's guest is Jolene Philo. Jolene is the mother of a son who was born with life-threatening special needs, and she was immediately thrown into this journey in a, a really unexpected way. So she has written several books about caregiving, parenting children with special needs, and special needs inclusion ministry. She speaks at disability parenting conferences around the country and conducts accreditation workshops for foster and adoptive parents. She also trains special needs ministry leaders and volunteers. Her second book, Different Dream Parenting, is a really great, really practical guide for families who have just been dropped into this journey and are trying to get their bearings and figure out which way is up. So today we get to chat with her. Welcome to the Hope A New Podcast, Jolene. We are so glad to have you here. Well, I'm so glad you asked me. It's always fun to chat with you. Yeah. As we get going here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an Iowa girl. I was born and raised in Lamars, Iowa, which is best known as the ice cream capital of the world. Nice. And I, yeah, I grew up in the 60s. I have a brother and a sister, years older and three years younger. I've been married to my husband for almost 42 years, and his name is Hiram. Uh, and we met at college in Lamars. We have two children of our own. Their names are Alan and Anne, and they are both adults out on their own. And we now live in Polk City, Iowa, which is in the central part of the state. It's a suburb of Des Moines. All right. So you live in a multi-generation home. Can you tell us what a multi-generation home is and how long you've lived there? That kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Our multi-generational home consists of my husband and I, and then our daughter, Anne, and her husband, Kalen, and their two children, Tad and Luella. So a multi-generational home, I think, is anything past your two generations living together. You know, we expect parents to be with their kids while they're raising their children. So another kind of multi-generational home would be if, if we had perhaps my, my mother living with us. 
Um, that would be another form of it. We have lived multi-generationally since, oh, I've got to think here, uh, the spring of 2016. And it was an intentional decision to have our daughter and her family come live with us with the intent of us being able to help with the kids while they're young. And then they will care for us as we get older. And we moved into the home we're in now about two years ago in 2017. And we've been slowly making it handicap accessible Mm. and uh, having two separate living quarters. We're upstairs, they're downstairs. And this summer, we'll be putting on a big addition. So they'll have their own entrance and we'll both have our own laundries and and that kind of thing. Now, that said, we do eat supper together almost every evening. My daughter and I plan the supper meals, then we're on our own for breakfast and lunches. So we get to see the kids and everybody and have, have a meal together every night, which I think is my favorite thing about multi-generational living. It's, a, it's always an interesting supper, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a beautiful arrangement. Well, we've had several friends of ours that have multi-generational homes as well, and it seems the, the stories that they have to share with us have been neat. They've had a lot of great memories. Is there a particular memory that has stood out to you from your time living together? I don't think there's just one. I think it's that continually um, being involved in our grandchildren's lives that is the wonderful thing, having them come up you know, and and want to see us and spend a little time with us and being able to read a story with them after supper, do a puzzle or take them outside sledding. It's that that cumulative effect of really being an integral part of their lives. That is, I think, the most meaningful memory for my husband and myself Hmm. and hopefully one day for our grandkids. Definitely. What a wonderful opportunity. We have sort of a similar situation. I mean, we're not all in one home, but my parents actually live across the yard from us. So it's a multi-generation property, I guess you could say. It's been wonderful having the closeness so the boys could run across the yard and spend time with grandma and grandpa and make the memories that way. And it's That's, that's it, right. You yeah. know, and I grew up in the 1960s. And several of my aunts and uncles were farmers and they had, you know, the older generation had one house and the younger generation had another house. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you if you drive and maybe this is true in Indiana where you are, too, if you go out in the country and drive around, you'll see a bigger house with a little house next to it. And in around here, that's called the grandma house Mm -hmm. because it was often built you know, so that the family could still be close together. And I think we really lost something when we went away from that. Yeah. Yeah. You still see even, we have Amish only about half hour from us. And and so you see a lot of the Amish families that that still do the same, same thing. And they have the grandmother house as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, let's, let's shift focus here a little bit. And you have a very unique story, a unique journey and disability and special needs. And I'd love to hear more about your specific journey. Sure. Well, it began when I was two years old, when my father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and that was in 1959. And within a couple of years, he was unable to walk. He couldn't write, couldn't control his bladder. uh, And his co-workers actually helped him continue working. He was in the extension service, but he didn't have five years in yet for, for a pension. So his co-workers and his supervisors actually mapped out, counted out, how long he needed to work so he would work five years and they would pick him up for work and take him do his work and take him home until he reached that five-year mark Uh, so 
so that's kind of how our story began. At the end of that, my parents moved back to Lamar's. They had moved away for a while. They moved back because my mom had a two-year teaching degree, and so she was able to go back to teaching and finish her four-year degree while teaching, while raising two little, three little kids by then. My brother had been born, and then caring for my dad. And as soon as she finished that, she went on and got her master's because that's how teachers earn more money. So we were all very actively engaged in caregiving throughout my childhood. And dad was able to live in our home until 1983 when he developed diabetes. Then he moved to a nursing home and lived there for 14 years until he died. Our son was born in 1982. And shortly after his birth, we found out that he had a birth defect called a tracheal esophageal fistula, which meant his trachea and esophagus were not connected correctly. And he had to be life flighted about 750 miles away for immediate surgery at birth. And that led to about four years of corrective surgeries and complications and tests until he was able to eat fairly well. During that time, we lived in a very remote area of South Dakota for those years. And we realized we needed to get closer to doctors. So I was able to get a teaching job in central Iowa. And we moved there in 1985. And most of Alan's surgeries were behind him at that point. So he started school in in the town where we lived. And people had a hard time believing there had been anything wrong with him. And he did very well. He had another surgery at 15. And then when he was 26, he was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder caused by all that early surgery. He went through treatment for that. And he's doing very, very well now. So I have that unusual combination of a parent who was disabled and then a child who had special needs. And to be honest, I had started my writing career and speaking career and really had never thought of my son as having special needs Hmm. um, Hmm. because he did well in school. You know, there there were no big issues by the time he was school-aged. And it took a publisher a magazine publisher who heard my story and he said, I've never heard of anybody who's got that connection. And I'll, I'll offer you a contract right now to write an article about how growing up with your dad prepared you to parent a child with special needs. Mm. So that was like a light bulb moment. And I thought, Oh, maybe that's what I should be writing more about. Yeah. It is a very unique combination and gives you really is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many insights into how others are approaching their journey now. Right. Yeah. And and I think that especially the grown up with my dad kind of made it like it's just ingrained in me. I didn't have to learn it sure. like we do when we have a child with special needs. We have to learn about the world of disability. I grew up in it and there are so many things that people other people don't think about that are just natural to me. And I'm kind of like, well, why don't they get that? <laughs> Realize, oh, they didn't grow up with it. Yeah. Right. So what specific ways would you say that that has shaped you as an adult? I think um, it, it's given me a long view of the disability world. I know that disabilities go on for a long time and that families need support, not just when there's a crisis, but for decades. I think I also... Um, I also kind of can better see that it's not necessarily a bad thing. We all think that disability or people looking in often think that disability is a tragedy and, you know, that our lives are just 
so horrible or that kind of thing or or they should pity us well we don't need to be pitied I grew up and had a great childhood and a great life it was very sad what happened to my dad and um, it still makes me sad that that that's the life he had to live but I also know that we can come through it so I guess it's given me a lot more perseverance and an ability to just kind of say you know what we're going to figure this out and God will be with us and we will get through it. Hmm. Yeah. And I love your story too and how it gives the the range of mm-hmm. picture of disability and special needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I do have to say that when our, our son was born, I was kind of like, wait, I already paid my dues in this disability mm-hmm. thing. I should have kids that don't have disabilities. And I didn't see it as a good thing at first. And then when our son started having troubles as he got older with this post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, I was, I remember telling my husband one time, I lost my dad to disability. I don't think I can handle it if I mm-hmm. lose my son mm-hmm. too. Um, so I didn't always have this long view, but over time, I've been able, I can look back and I can see that God was there every step of the way and that everything that happened, both to me, to my dad, to my son, to our family, was preparation for what I'm doing now and prepared the other people around me for their their life journey too. And it made them stronger. Yeah, that's really interesting what you say too about how you didn't have that view at first, but over the course of the journey you came to have that. And it was interesting. I was just talking with a friend a couple days ago and we're both right at 11 and a half, 12 years into Mm -hmm. our special needs journey. And we both within this last year have kind of come to the point of instead of always fighting it, instead of always trying for the next thing, instead of always working against it, I guess you could say, to accepting, you know, whatever comes, whichever mm-hmm. way it goes, it's okay. God has right. it. W- we'll be okay. And um, yeah, not that we've given up on on things that we want to try or do, but we've released the the pressure of mm-hmm. it, you know, and realizing it it may never change, or mm-hmm. it may never change for the better. Or, you know, whatever. But we, we finally both have come to the point where the pressure is off and we're not stressing about it anymore. Right. And I think another thing I've really come to realize is that, you know, when I think back, like, what if my father had stayed healthy? Certainly that would have been a better trajectory for our family. But I don't know. You know, we always assume that if this didn't happen, life would go the direction we we want it to go and go in what we consider a good direction. Right. But we don't know. Right. You know, he, he could have been killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. He he loved to eat and he didn't eat well. He could have died of a heart attack, you know. Mm-hmm. So we don't. And the same with with our children when they're born. When we have a child um, that we say is typically developing, we have no guarantee that they're going to grow up and become the kind of people we think they're going to become. We don't know that they're going to grow up and get married and have a good job and have what we call a successful life. They could, they could turn another direction. 
that yeah. could be more um, more difficult to deal with than raising a child with special needs. So we have to look at it. And I've come to think, you know, it's really uh, God knows the best path. He knows all the possible paths and he knows the best path. And he sets us on the best path for us. And we just have to trust that, you know, trust his goodness, that it is the best thing for us. Yeah, that's so true. Those are such wise words. This journey can come with its own unique stressors. What did you and Hiram do to navigate these extra stressors? Well, I think to answer that, you really have to know my husband, who is one of the calmest, most patient, um, and just like whatever's ahead of us, Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do kind of people. Mm -hmm. And so he always had the attitude right off the bat with our son that, well, this is the son we've been given. This is, we'll just parent him Hmm. and we'll get through it. I was the one that was the worry wart and, you know, was like always, what if this doesn't work? Or I don't think I can take anything more. And he would just kind of look at me and (laughs) this, this is what we've got. Um, Hmm. Soon after our son was born, when we found out he was going to have to leave, uh, we did pray and just release our son into into God's hands and entrust him there. Um, whether, cause we didn't know if he would live or if we would see him again or so we just, we did that and that gave us a great deal of peace. And I would often go back to that prayer. You know, he did live this long. And so, all right, we've still released him to God. God still got a hold of him. You know, and even today I, I have to tell myself that our son came through on a business trip just a few days ago. And he was headed over to Nebraska and then up to um, Fargo, North Dakota. And he ended up driving right into a bad, bad winter storm and that turned into ground blizzards. And um, he ended up having to stay overnight in a motel because he couldn't even go any further. Hmm. And I just always have to tell myself, yeah, and you get to have that worry because he lived. Hmm. So, you know, you've had it. Again, it gives me that long view. If something had happened to him, we still had had him 37 years that if if he'd been born 100 years before he was born, we wouldn't have had him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that kind of helps me get a perspective, I think. Uh, I think the other things that we did was we really connected with some people who were very supportive and helpful and learned how to take care of Alan and answered our questions about spiritual things. So I think those were the main things that we tried to do. Excellent. Excellent. So if if you were to give advice to other young couples who are, who are starting out in this journey, what advice and tips would you give to them? The first thing I would do would be tell them to ask for help. You know, we will always want to try and do it ourselves, but you've got to ask for some help. You've got to get somebody in there with you, preferably somebody who knows something about special needs parenting. But that's not always easy, depending on where you live, Um, though. It's a lot easier now because you can get find a Facebook group with uh, parents uh, of children who have a similar condition to your child. So that kind of thing can be very helpful. Uh, a real caution on that would be to avoid toxic groups. Mm. And if the group is always negative or there are a number of members of the group who are constantly negative, you don't need that. So get out of those groups and find a group that's supportive and positive. 
you know, that are always trying to help you find resources are understanding um, and don't let one person take over the group, I guess would be. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would also say uh, what I wish I had known when our son was little and seeing all these doctors and they, they hold your child's life in their hands in, in the case of our son, they did. But I wish I had realized that they were just people too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hadn't placed them quite on such a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And I had been a little more assertive because I was the child and my husband, or I was the parent and my husband was the parent. And we were experts on how our son's condition manifested in him. Yes. And I wish I had been a little more assertive of, nope, this isn't right. I know this isn't right. When his eyes look like this mm-hmm. in another day, he's going to have bronchitis. You need mm-hmm. to see him now. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Yes, that's so important to to remember that. And we hit that a lot on our journey as well. Okay, your book, Different Dream Parenting, addresses many different things from the emotional and spiritual to the very practical everyday aspects of what to do as parents when we face um, the world of disability and special needs suddenly. Um and all the new things that come with that. Now, I'll say, when I first saw that title, it just grabbed me, and I just Mm -hmm. love it. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about the titles of the different dream parenting and different dream for my child, and just kind of what that means to you and what you brought to that title when you created it. Sure. Well, The Different Dream for My Child was the first book, and it's a book of devotions for families. And I interviewed 15 or maybe 20 families and a couple of our son's former doctors for for the devotions for that. And what I kept coming out of when I would do those interviews with people, and many of them were people that we knew from our Mm. community. And so I was able to do some of those interviews face to face, and they would tell me their story. And every time I came out of the interviews and thought like, I have just been on holy ground. Hmm. You know, these parents are caregivers. They're telling the stories of caring for children. Some of them had been caring for their kids for years. Some of them had lost children. And they all wanted to share their story and what they had learned to help hmm. other parents. That just made a big impression on me. It still is. And I wrote that book 10 years ago. And here I am getting all teary. Hmm. But it just, it just came to me. One of the moms said, you know, we're, we're really living a different dream. This isn't what we were planning when we were pregnant with our kids. This isn't what we thought it would be like. It's a different dream and you have to accept that. And Mm -hmm. I, I kept thinking to myself and I think I wrote it in the introduction, you know, it's a different dream, but it's still a good dream. Mm. Yes. Just because it's different doesn't make it bad. God's still with you and his hand is on you and your child and he has good purposes for both of your lives. Definitely. In different dream parenting, you mm-hmm. describe a series of transitions in various areas of your life. Can you describe what are the keys to making those transitions from struggling to thriving? Sure. And that book came out after the devotional because somebody wrote me and said, I really like the devotional, but I'd really like some practical advice Uh, (laughs) and some help with some theological questions. So that, that book is set up 
Each section offers lots of practical advice, stories from other families. And then the last chapter in each of the six sections is one of those theological issues that parents struggle with. But what what I would tell parents who want to make those transitions so that even in the midst of raising a child with special needs or maybe having a terminal diagnosis or whatever to figure out a way to to go from struggling to thriving. And I mentioned this first one before, ask for help. Mm. You're going to need help from other people and you've got to ask for it. Um, You need to then, once you've got some help, you're going to be able to go on and do the other things a little bit more. Find resources, practical resources, organizations, you know, I'm not talking about churches, but, you know, governmental programs that can help or a preschool or whatever your child needs. Finding those resources that can help your child have the best life possible. Become educated about those resources, about where to find things, about where to to find advocates to help you and um, educated about your child's condition. That would be the next thing. And then find your tribe. So you have to find those people who have gone through or are going through similar journeys and can help you navigate that in a positive way. And then also find a church. I think it's really important to find a church that welcomes you and your kids. And then even if they don't have a special needs ministry, there are churches that are very welcoming to families and embrace kids with special needs. And so you need to find a church like that. Yes, that's very true. And, and that's, I'd say that's where our church is too. It's a smaller Uh church. It's not a big church. It's a country church, but they can make, you know, all the accommodations we need for Jordan. So that's exactly a a wonderful fit. And it's really important. The church we went to when we, when our son was born, it didn't even have a bathroom. It was kind of under construction. Mm. So, you know, and it was in a town of 92 people. So there weren't all that many people who could attend the church. So it was really, really small, but the people there loved our son and they had his best interest at heart and they would do anything for us. And so it was the right place for us at that time. Yes. What a blessing that is. In our opening, we share that we believe that there is beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Can you share with us some of the beauty that you've seen in your journey or some of the purpose you've seen emerge from your pain? Well, I have a little bit of an answer for both both of those. I think the beauty that we've seen both with my father and with our son was the compassion of other people. Mm. Unexpected things that people would do. And long-term relationships, especially for my dad, people that came to visit him for decades, Wow, you know, and, and would, we'd come home from school and we just thought that was the way everybody's house was, mm-hmm. that there'd be somebody there visiting, you know, from the, from the retired pastor down the street to the pastor of our church to, I remember the guy who ran the TV store would stop by often. Mm-hmm. And I was like... And I just thought that was normal. And now I'm like, he came over like every month or so to visit with my dad. We didn't even go to the same church, but he just knew that dad needed that. So that that kind of compassion and care, I think, is the beauty that we've really seen. And then the other thing was the power of a compromised life. Hmm. We always think that the vulnerable people need us to help them, but 
my dad's presence in our home was very powerful and it, it changed my brother and my sister and myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, of course, a purpose coming out of it, uh, me being able to write and speak about special needs parenting. And by the time I tell a little bit of my story, people will listen because mm-hmm. they know I've been where they are now. And, yes. you know, you can't, you can't gain that kind of credibility with the people who need your help any other way. Very true. Yeah, that's yeah. so important. And it's so neat to see how that community came around you and your family, especially with your father. And yeah. uh, that's, that's incredible. On our Facebook page, we took an evening and we asked our audience what questions they would like us to ask you. And we'd like to share one of the questions that we received. The question is from Heather. Heather and her husband adopted three girls out of foster care. They have been a family for seven years, and she feels like they are living in a perpetual state of survival mode. And her question is, how can she have a future or think about the future when they are living in so much chaos? I know that that part of this answer might overlap with what you shared earlier, but what advice would you give Heather and additional resources or what additional resources would you recommend for her and her family? Well, first of all, I would say that her question is spot on and just shows that she is living with people who have gone through a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. because trauma produces people who are living with unresolved trauma just create a chaos around Mm -hmm. them because they're constantly being triggered and responding to those triggers and feeling threatened and all of that. So I understand where she's at and I have lived through that and I know how hard it can be. I, and I only lived through it with one. She's got three. So (laughs) she's, she's dealing with a lot. Right. I guess my advice would be, and I don't know anything about what kind of work has been done with their children. And, and I'm not here trying to sell books, but I would, I would say, she would do well to first of all, get a copy of my book. Does my child have PTSD, which Mm -hmm. can be found on Amazon and read it because I think it's going to give her a little bit more of an explanation of what's going on in her kids heads. And then in that book, I have listed lots of other books and resources and types of therapies that she might want to start researching because I think uh, to get rid of the chaos, a friend of mine says, Trauma creates drama. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get rid of the drama, you've got to get rid of the trauma. Mm. So I think her children and probably she and her husband need some good trauma therapy. And there's not enough time to go into all of that here, which is why I'm recommending the book that will point her in the direction of the kinds of therapies she should be looking for. And that I think is the, the main thing that she needs to do. And it could well be that her kids have been doing a lot of therapy that's talk-based and talk-based therapy will not help resolve trauma that's early trauma in children because all of their traumatic memories are stored non-verbally and they can't talk about them. They have to access them another way and then put a verbal narrative with them. So they need to look for some good therapies that are not talk-based. I guess until she does that, anything else I say for her to try isn't going to help until they get rid of the drama that's been caused by a lot of the trauma. Hmm. 
Wow. If she would like to talk to me, she can certainly email me. My email is jolenephilo at me.com. J-O-L-E-N-E-P-H-I-L-O at me.com. And I'd be happy then to point her in the direction of some kinds of therapies and possibly therapists. Excellent. Well, thank you for doing that. That's very helpful. And Heather, I'd encourage you to reach out. Before we let you go, where can our audience find you, your books and other resources that you offer? Sure. My website is called differentdream.com. So you can find me there and you'll find a way to contact me there. My books are available. There's They're all listed on my website. You can click through to whoever, whatever vendor you want to use to purchase them. Or you can go to Amazon. Of course, they have everything. If you're in the Ohio area, Cleveland, Ohio area, I'm going to be at Inclusion Fusion Live. And I know you are too. We are. Um, and that is, is that April 5th and 6th? Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'd love to meet you there. It's fun to see people face to face and hear their stories and put a face to the stories that they have. It is so fun to get to meet the audience in person and get to chat with them. Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, we will put a link to your materials and to your website on our show notes for this episode. So our audience can just click right through to those things. So thanks again, Jolene, for being on the on the show today. I always learn new things when we talk to you. And it's (laughs) always just such a delight. Well, I enjoy talking to you both, too. The future of special needs ministry is with people your age, not mine. Mm -hmm. So it's great to see that moving forward. Well, I'm glad we have you, too, who has blazed the trail going before us. Yeah, it's um, kind of like multi-generational special needs ministry, isn't it? There we go. I think so. (laughs) I like it. Exactly. (laughs) Very good. Well, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.